Hey, welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast. This is Peter Bell. I am here for Catechism Thursday, and this is Lord's Day number four. So if you guys haven't listened to the previous three, if you want to, I would suggest to listen to the previous three. They're going to help you provide some background for today because the Catechism builds off of itself, gives you a full comprehensive view of the doctrine that Reformed believers have confessed for at least the past 450 years, if not longer, since the early church. So let's start. Question number nine. But does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? Answer, no. For God so created man that he was able to do it. But man, at the instigation of the devil, in deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. And so what Ursinus does is he gives three objections and three answers to help us understand this answer. So the first objection. Because this is impossible, God is unjust. His answer, no. God, by creating man in his own image, and see the previous Catechism Thursday for this, and gave him the ability to render obedience, he justly requires this law. Second objection. We didn't bring this sin on ourselves. We ourselves, both you listening to this podcast and me producing this. It was the devil's fault. Answer. When Adam and Eve fell, our parents, they lost this ability both for themselves and us, just as they received the punishment for themselves and for us. And if you want to see scripture behind this, it's Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. Third objection. Because God commands something that's impossible, his command is going to fail. And so he answers first for believers. This command is not for vain. Because one, we acknowledge our weakness and inability. Two, we know how we were before the fall. Three, we ask for renewing of our heart. Four, we understand what Christ has done for us. And five, we have new obedience to God through our new heart in Christ to the law. And then he answers to the non-believers. One, the justice of God is manifest in their condemnation. Two, external discipline may be preserved. So we want to think the law still works in non-believers' hearts as it does for ours because it shows them what is wrong and what is right, just in who they are and where they live. And you can see Romans 1, verses 18 through 32 for this as well. And three, that those whom God wants to save will be saved. Ursinus then moves on to question number 10. Will God allow such disobedience in apostasy, which is just moving away from the faith, to go unpunished? 
His answer, certainly not. He is terribly angry with our original sin as well as our actual sins. And we've talked about that difference. Original sin is the sin we inherit. That is our sin under the law as we are born, as we have been raised, as we have our lineage through Adam and Eve. And our actual sins are thinking of when we lie in this age, when we steal, when we bear false witness, whatever it is that we actually do today. Therefore, he will punish them by a just judgment, both now and eternally, as he has declared, quote, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And this also, this is Galatians 3.10. This is also referenced from Leviticus 18.5. So Rosinus gives five objections, quick little objections, and then his answers. Objection one, the wicked always seem to do well in this life. And how often do we ask this question ourselves? His answer, they will be punished, number one, in the conscience. Number two, the more they enjoy of his revelation, the greater the punishment. So even though they seem to do well in this life, that they have good things, that they're prosperous, that in itself that joy is also leading to greater condemnation because they enjoy from God's hands. And then he says, number three, they're afflicted with other punishments. His second objection, God will not punish sin because he didn't create it. Answer, he did not create it indeed, but he inflicted spiritual death at the beginning of sin. Objection number three, God will not punish again after Adam and Eve. Therefore, there is no more punishment. His answer, present punishment is the beginning of that everlasting punishment. All is equal under the justice of God. Objection number four. Sins are different in character. Therefore, they should not be equally punished. Answer, all offend the same law. Everything is judged equally under it. And while present punishment may differ, so think of how punishment today, so if we lie, we get one punishment. If we steal, we get one punishment. If we murder, that's an entirely different punishment in this life. However, eternal punishment is the same. Objection five. All must be punished because of this sin eternally. All. Answer. This is such a cruel answer. Because he has made satisfaction for his people in Christ by inflicting our punishment on him, he, God, has satisfied his justice by making us righteous under the law. And then the last objection, he can't punish the righteous more than he did to Christ. Answer, this is only fatherly chastising. So think of when your father corrects you, whether you're or your earthly father or another father figure, somebody else. And this is to conform us 
mourns the image of his son. And the father only does this to his sons and daughters. This proves you are a son and daughter. And then the last question, question 11. But is God not also merciful? His answer, God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires that the sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. And so he gives two categories. He talks about why we are afflicted and then what is our comfort. So first thing, sin is viewed differently in godly and the wicked. One is to remind of our removal. The just, the other one is justice. Two, for affliction, that we learn to hate sin. Three, that we may practice what is true of us eternally to strengthen our faith and understanding of God's holiness. Four, remind us of our faults in comparison to the perfect law. Five, the exhibition, the showing, the manifesting, the glory of God. Six, to conform us more to the image of Christ. Seven, so that we may witness to the truth of the gospel through our afflictions. And last one, number eight, our afflictions are the evidence of the judgment to come and eternal life. And then he comes and brings it home with our comfort. Number one, our comfort comes from we know we have remission of sin. Number two, we know of God's providence and his will for us in Christ. Number three, we know the excellency of obedience to God as we image the Son who's done this for us. Number four, we have a good conscience. Not because we've done this ourselves, but because we know sin has been taken away. When he sees us, he sees Christ. Five, the glory of God in our salvation and the conversion of others. Six, when we compare the glory to come in heaven to earthly glory, and we see this in a glimpse Sunday mornings in church with the preaching of the gospel, with worship, with Lord's Supper, with baptism, and with church discipline. Number seven, the hope of reward for Christ's obedience. Number eight, the example of Christ and his saints. Number nine, presence and help of God in our afflictions. And last one, complete and final deliverance. So that was Lord's Day number four, question and answer nine through 11. I hope you guys were helped. I hope you guys were reminded of the gospel, reminded of your rest eternally in Christ because he has taken our affliction. He has taken our misery. He has taken our sins. He's obeyed for us. He has obeyed for us eternally. We do not have to worry about our standing under the law, even when we're afflicted, even when we're reminded of our sin, we can say, yes, that is true. I am a sinner 
under the law. But the obedience of Christ is what counts in God's eyes. He has given me that obedience. So I hope you guys tune in again next week for Lord's Day number five as we continue with the Heidelberg Catechism. See you then.